This episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by Try Best, making healthy living easy. Welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello, welcome to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. It's so great to be with you. Today, we've got Julie Simon, author of When Food is Comfort, and her first book, The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. Uh, Learn more about her at overeatingrecovery.com. But let's welcome to the show right now, Julie Simon. Hi, Steve. Always great to be back with you. I feel like uh, we've done this so many times. Like you said, we're family already. Right? It's, it's like the dance. Like, okay, I know Steve does this, now I do that. Julie, thank you for being here. Congratulations on the new book. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. I'm so excited that it's launched. <laughs> and it, well, it's such a hot topic. Everyone's still talking about emotional eating. It's really, it, it's something maybe, you know, we're talking about, we don't know what to do about it. So what about you? How did you, were you an emotional eater? Let's talk about that. Yes, I was definitely an emotional eater. But you know, even before finding out I was an emotional eater, I really struggled with my weight. I'm like many young girls in my teens and my 20s, I was putting on pounds. And back then, you know, what we did was we counted calories and fat grams and carbohydrate, and we weighed and measure our food and weighed and measure our bodies. And we're still doing all of that today. When people are struggling with their weight, they're still thinking that, if they count all their calories and weigh and measure everything, that that's the answer. And I knew back then that it wasn't the answer because I would lose a little weight, I would plateau, you know, I would have to practically starve myself to get the weight off. And I thought something's wrong with this picture. Something is just wrong with this picture. I cannot imagine that we were meant to weigh and measure everything. Our ancestors never counted calories or fat grams or carbohydrate grams. They didn't weigh and measure their food. They didn't weigh their bodies. Animals don't. And they maintain their weight in an optimum range. And so can we. So I set out on a quest probably about the time I was a psychology, psychobiology student at UCLA. I set out on a quest to figure out the pieces of the overeating and weight gain puzzle. And one of the pieces that I found out during my journey was that I was an emotional eater and that I was turning to food for comfort and soothing. I was trying to tranquilize emotions that were difficult to cope with, like loneliness and sadness and frustration. I was trying to quiet my mind and um, you know, deal with self-defeating thoughts. I was filling up an inner emptiness with food. I was using food for pleasure and excitement. So I discovered that I was an emotional eater. There were other pieces, of course, to the overeating puzzle. It's not all emotional. So I had some physical body and brain imbalances that I needed to correct. And then there were some spiritual imbalances, like my life wasn't having enough purpose and passion and meaning. So when I pulled all of that together, my life was just really you know, moving along wonderfully, and I had lost all the weight, and I knew that I wanted to do this for other people. So I pulled together a 12-week program over 25 years ago to help uh, overeaters and imbalanced eaters address the mind-body-spirit imbalances that underlie overeating. And then I wrote my first book, which is based on the program. And we'll talk more about why I wrote the second book. <laughs> well, when you said before you putting together the pieces, you said pieces, not pizzas, right? Because for me, emotionally... <laughs> Uh, my because we're talking comfort food and like for me pizza was always it i mean pizza what is that's that's been my wife and i still talk about it to this day it's like remember because we dated in high school you know we would like we would go get pizza like all the time every weekend we would go get a pizza you know and 
in college pizza. I remember after horseback riding class with Red Eye, he and I would go and we would get we would get a pizza. My friend Jen, we would even eat a vegan pizza a few years back. We would go to Z Pizza and get a small right, Jen. I don't know if you're watching on Facebook. We we would eat a small uh, vegan lovers vegan pizza, and here it's like, what is this emotional draw we have to our food? Well, you know, part of it is not even just the emotional. Part of it, as we know, is that there's an overabundance of processed food out there, and processed food hijacks our brain chemicals, gives us powerful feel-good chemicals, really hard to pull away from the pull of highly processed foods, and now we have an abundance of, of you know, rich and fatty animal, foods of animal origin available to us. So it's very easy for us to get addicted um, to these foods. But one of the reasons I wrote this book is that you have to wonder to yourself, why are some people, why some people like yourself who are constantly looking for pizza, or for me, it was always bread. And then there are other people that don't have that relationship with pizza or with bread, right? Or how come some people have a relationship with alcohol where if they have one drink, they're having four and other people like myself, I could care less about alcohol, right? So I knew that there was more again to this puzzle it can't just be that those foods are addictive. It can't just be that we're emotional eaters. And, and what I wanted to help people realize, so many people came to me who were very disciplined in many areas of their lives, and they said, I can't get my eating and my weight under control, and I must just be lazy, or I lack willpower. And I really wanted to help people understand that it's not about willpower, and it's not about lacking discipline or being lazy. It's really about how your brain got wired when you were young. And that's why some people will be very attracted to these, you know, highly processed, what we call highly palatable foods, and other people will have no attraction to them. And so I wanted to help people understand it's in the wiring of the brain. And the wonderful news is that we can rewire the brain. It's interesting because it reminds me of this conversation I was having with an old friend from, uh, I, grew, I know Eric since I was five, and I, I sent him a text. I'm like, hey, Eric, I remember you were addicted to American cheese, you know, and he wrote back. Oh, that's cheese. I was trying to figure out what that was. <laughs> yeah, for those that are watching on video, if you're not on the radio, I was showing a picture of that actual text with Eric about cheese, and he wrote, still is, damn, I love cheese. I said, here was your passion. Are we all emotional eaters to a certain extent? Yes, we are all emotional eaters to a certain extent. I mean, there's no doubt that food enhances our social experiences and we all enjoy eating. I think everybody enjoys eating. Really the question, and if, we, if you have a treat, if you grab a piece of dark chocolate, if you have a small dish of ice cream, of course that's emotional eating, but there's nothing wrong with it. The question is, is it causing significant weight gain or is it causing a problem with your health? And that's where you would decide if your emotional eating is a problem for you right? So let's dig deeper. Um, you know, we identify the patterns. We know that they come from when we were kids, like, right? Because sometimes our parents used food to shut us up, basically. Yes. And it's not just, it, it can be that our parents used food or, or often fed us too much. But really, hmm. what the last 20 years, the modern, the neuroscience of the last 20 years has identified is the, the nurturance that we receive when you, we're young. We need to receive consistent and sufficient emotional nurturance when we're young. And so what that looks like is a parent or a caregiver that's really well attuned to our emotional states 
and really helps us manage and, and um, work through and process through our emotions. And so many of us, even, you know, we've had loving, kind, well-intentioned caregivers, but perhaps they never learned how to deal with their emotions. Perhaps they didn't, don't know really how to nurture. They don't know how to comfort and soothe. So an example is you might have a parent where a kid comes home from school and says, you know, nobody wanted to sit with me at the lunch table today. And the parent says, oh, I'm sorry. Why don't we go out for an ice cream? Okay. Now, that's a perfect example where the, the kid is ha having all kinds of emotions, and yet they're not getting addressed. And they're, he, what he's ending up doing is, is associating food with comfort. Like when I'm upset about something, I get ice cream, right? What we really need to do is have a parent who can help us process through. What are you feeling? I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling inadequate. I'm feeling ashamed. You know, have a parent help us move through those emotions. So what happens when we get that really good kind of nurturance, that consistent and sufficient emotional nurturance and good attunement into our, our emotional states, certain structures in the brain develop, okay? The, the, what we call the self-regulatory structures of the top part of the brain develop, and they form integrative circuits to the emotional part of the brain, the part of the brain that says, ah, nobody wants to sit with me at the table and I'm really upset. So we need those cir that circuitry to be developing and it, it gets laid down or it goes online, if you will, if we have that quality nurturance. So if we missed out on that, our brain may have gotten wired for very high reactivity, right? Now, you and, then talk it's hard, and then it's hard to, excuse me for one second, but then it's hard to use logical arguments, right? When when we're upset, we come home from a really hard day at work, and we know that we shouldn't choose pizza, but we have a real difficult time using logical arguments to get ourselves not to have that pizza, right? Well, I'm off it now. <laughs> <laughs> but you you talk in the book about self regulation. How? I mean, for me, it's just mind over matter. I just I know what the consequences of my food choices lead to, and I'd rather make better choices. Not everyone, and it's funny. Like my my in laws will say, "Oh, Steve." has such great willpower. That's how they, you know, they just say he has great willpower and I don't, and, and people will use that as an excuse. Well, I don't, I don't have the willpower he does. It's more than that. What is the self-regulation piece about? Yeah, I mean, that's what we're saying. It really is about the brain wiring because it's, it's not about discipline and it's not about willpower and it's not about having great control. It's about having access to a part of your brain that helps soothe and comfort and regulate. So what is self-regulation? Self-regulation means having the ability to manage our moods, our emotions, our behaviors, our impulses, and set proper limits, proper and effective limits with ourselves. So it's certainly not just food. I mean, if you have trouble with food, if you have trouble with alcohol, you might have trouble getting yourself out of bed in the morning, you might have trouble activating yourself, you might have trouble following through on your to-do list, right? So these are all areas where we require a particular part of the brain, the cerebral cortex, to be connecting with that emotional part, right? So if you get up in the morning and you say, well, I really want to get up and I want to go exercise, and yet my emotional brain is so dominant, you know, I can't get a handle on it. In the morning, I say, no, I don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood. I'm too tired. I'm too hungry. I'm too stressed, Right. People like yourself have the ability to get the top part of the brain to say something like, I get it, we didn't get a lot of sleep and we're tired, but let's get our shoes on and go out the door. We're going to feel a lot better when we're done, right? 
you have the ability to access that voice, okay? And the other person, the voice that's dominant in their head is that very young self that says, no, I don't want to, or I want the pizza. I don't care about my cholesterol, or I don't care about gaining weight. I just want the pizza now. They don't have access to that voice that you have access to. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay, now you talk about the idea that we can actually rewire our brain, though. Yes, so I teach in this book a mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. that helps you learn how to develop self-regulation, okay? And in the process of developing the self-regulation, we rewire the brain. So how do we do that? We're slowly tuning in. We pop the hood and we tune in to our internal world of emotions and bodily sensations. That's what drives behavior really is emotions and bodily sensations and thoughts. Okay. So we tune into that world and in the process of tuning into that world, I, in the, in the seven step mindfulness practice that I teach, we're going to learn how to develop and strengthen that inner supportive voice. Okay. That's the voice that if our caregivers, again, if we had that sufficient uh, and consistent early nurturance, we would have developed a voice over time. Our self-talk would be something like, I can do this. Uh, this will be okay. I can get out of bed and get going. I can finish writing this chapter today, even though I don't know what I'm writing about. We will have developed a supportive voice that helps us move through life, okay? If most emotional eaters, I'd say 99% of the emotional eaters I've ever worked with in my 27 years of doing this do not have a well-developed inner supportive voice, a voice I call the inner nurture, okay? Most emotional leaders have a very strong inner critic voice. Many of them, their inner nurture is more of what I call an inner indulger. It's a voice that says, yeah, we had a really hard day. Let's go get the pizza, okay? And the very dominant voice in their head is what 20 years ago we called the inner child, what I call the feeling self. That's the part that says, I don't care. I want the pizza, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out tomorrow. I'm not in the mood to exercise, so I'm not going to go. It's the feeling self is running the show, right? And so we need to rewire that. And it can be done. <laughs> and it can be done. It's not a quick fix, but mm-hmm. it's a forever fix. And, and there is no diet, unfortunately, that is ever going to rewire your brain. That's the problem with diets. They don't rewire your brain. I mean, one thing we see when we do a juice cleanse or, you know, we give our body a break or we're on a pattern of daily juicing, so it's like intermittent fasting, that our taste buds change. We start to crave healthier foods. How does that play into the program? Well, I think any time that you're shifting uh, the foods that you're eating, any time that you're shifting to eating healthier foods, you know, nutrient-dense foods that really serve mm-hmm. your body, everything's going to work better, right? There's no doubt about that. But if you, uh, if you did not get sufficient and consistent emotional nurturance when you were young and you have difficulty comforting and soothing yourself, you're going to be one of those people who falls off the wagon of intermittent fasting. You're going to be someone who says, yeah, I did juice for about a year and then I went back to eating sugar and junk again. You know, if you don't have those skills developed, there's a good chance, you know, your healthy diet is not, it's not going to be the, the complete answer to resolving your overeating, you know, changing what you're eating is a very important piece of overeating recovery. And it's why I have a whole, you know, I have chapters in my first book about that. 
but it is not it is not the complete you know recovery interesting right? well and how important it is, is community how important is and, and our family too and and i was going to ask also how we can support people that are emotional eaters well i think ultimately you know stress reduction is going to help i mean because Emotional eaters are eating because they're under stress in some way. They're, they're stressed out from their lives. They're stressed out maybe from, you know, what's going on at work with family. So, of course, the more supportive the community that we have will be helpful. But really, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, my first book does, like I said, does dive into the food and, you know, body and brain imbalances and how we correct those. But in this book, I really wanted to take a deeper dive into what's going on for the emotional eater and, and how you must rewire your brain. Because again, the people who end up coming to see me, many of them have been on every eating plan you can think of. They've been on every fasting, intermittent fasting. They've been on sugar and flour detoxes. They've been on no salt, no sugar, no oil. They've been on everything and they cannot stick with it. And they come to see me because the emotional piece has to be worked through. Amazing. Yeah, something that people are want to do, but they're not taking that next step to get there. I think everyone can identify with emotional eating because, you know, if you have a horrible day or things go wrong in life, like the first thing we want to do is start, you know, numbing ourselves. Isn't that right? We want to kind of numb ourselves with the food we're eating. We do want to numb ourselves. And the whole problem with numbing ourselves is that numbing ourselves doesn't build skill. So if you come home from work and you had a really stressful day, you had an argument with your boss, your coworker said something snarky to you, and you're just, you know, you're having so much, you have a storm going on inside of you, but you're not connecting to yourself rather than identifying exactly what you're feeling and what, what's going on in your body. Maybe your shoulders are tense. Maybe you're you know, your jaw is clenched, uh, you know, it, without connecting to yourself and identifying what's going on and beginning the process of soothing and comforting, you go into the drive through you order your favorite meal. And of course, you, you shoot up all those chemicals that are soothing and calming all the endorphins and serotonin and all that dopamine, everything's soothing and calming, you drive home and you feel much better. But you haven't gained any skill number one. And number two, you have not rewired your brain. So this is going to have to be the way you cope, right? And if, you know, overeating or binge eating, excessive snacking, mindless snacking, if that's the way you cope, again, like we said before, if you don't have any health or weight challenges, maybe that's okay, right? But most people do have health and weight challenges from eating like that. And many people who, who don't have a weight problem just feel like their their relationship with food is out of balance and they want to improve their relationship with food. Love it. The name of the book, When Food is Comfort, we're here with Julie Simon. The book's available at Amazon and bookstores worldwide, Barnes & Noble. Um, best place and to my website. <laughs> right, and over on our website, overeatingrecovery.com. We'll have a link to that under the show notes at Juice Guru Radio, so be sure to check that out. And so much we could talk about with this, Julie, but we're running out of time here for the iHeartRadio portion of the, of the show here. Um, anything to say in closing on how we can rewire our brain? Can we do this at any age? Is it ever too late to rewire our brains? It is never too late. And one way to think about this is that you're going to be building self-care skills. So the reason that you're turning to food for comfort or excitement or pleasure or soothing or whatever 
is because you're missing skills and they're all skills that you can learn. I teach them in both of my books. And the wonderful news is that this learning the skills, which will put an end to your emotional eating, will also rewire your brain. So it makes it 10 times easier to continue taking care of yourself. Love it. Again, Julie Simon. Julie, thank you for the work. Congratulations on the book. Uh, thank you for helping us end emotional eating. We, we love what you're teaching. We try to incorporate your message in all of our work because it's something that everyone deals with, especially when we're teaching about health and juicing. There's always that emotional eating component. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you <laughs> for I'm having Steve, me. <laughs> and I'm Steve Prusak, and this is it for this edition of iHeartRadio. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juiceguru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.